Living Local, telling the stories that connect us. A United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County podcast. A year ago, last October, Joey Papa and his wife Nikki lost a child, Kanan. For the entirety of her brief life, Kanan, though never formally diagnosed, had dealt with innumerable medical complexities and was what one might describe as a child with special needs. In his grief, filmmaker Joey Papa decided to embark on a documentary project to share the story of Kanan's life and how she had positively impacted the way his family looks at the world. His goal was to share not only his own family story, but the stories of many other families of children with special needs and how they all discovered a fundamental truth that children with special needs are a blessing and are put on this earth to teach us something. I talked to Joey about his phenomenal documentary, In the Land of Canaan, which is currently under review by several film festivals. We also chat about his next project, Unwanted, a documentary film about the foster care crisis in southeastern Wisconsin. For more information on these films, visit the blog accompanying this episode. Joey, tell us about Canaan, um, the inspiration for the documentary. Yeah, so my wife and I had five children. Kanan was our fourth. Um, all of our other children were typically developing. And then when Kanan was born, uh, the doctors were a little concerned and then eventually got really concerned quite quickly. Um, the long and short of it is, is that she ended up having no formal diagnosis, but she spent her life with uh, lots of medical complications. She was with us for three and a half years, and then she passed away uh, about a year ago. Um, and when she did, my wife and I knew that we needed to give voice to children just like her, children that have uh, medical comp- complexities or conditions or have disabilities. Because what we found was that when we were up close and personal with a child with special needs being our own, that there was a transformative power that ended up changing us on very fundamental levels that we were not expecting through the difficulty and the pain and all of the heartache that comes along with having a child with special needs, we were surprised at how much we were changing by her life. So the documentary came to life um, and we were able to follow five families all throughout the United States, um, all with children that have varying conditions um, and disabilities. And they all have the same story that their child has really brought about a miracle or a transformation in their own personal life. At what point in kind of your journey with Kanan, did you decide to make the documentary? So her death was sudden. Um, we knew that her health was declining, so but we weren't prepared, I would say, so much as, as quickly as she did pass away. After she passed away, there was an immediate sense of destiny, immediate sense of we have to do something. Um, even at Kanan's funeral, my wife used the terminology. She felt like that Kanan had passed a baton to us. Uh, that Canaan's life purpose, uh, she had served you know, her purpose on this earth, but in her leaving us, that she would continue the mission that she was sent here to do, which was to help to raise awareness and give voice to children with special needs. So as crazy as it sounds, she passed away October 30th, and then December 24th is when we launched the Kickstarter for the documentary. So we kind of went for it right away, and it actually was very therapeutic for me. It was very cathartic uh, for my grieving process to create this documentary, to know that I was taking such a horrible, negative, hard situation and using it for the good 
of everyone. And so you mentioned you have four other children and your wife. Um, how were they involved in the documentary? Did they Were they involved in the creation process? Are they in the documentary? Um, my kids are not in the documentary very much. I think there may be one little clip. My wife is, she and I kind of tag team in the documentary, although it doesn't seem that way, but that's how it is. <laughs> uh, she basically, in her interview for the documentary, kind of tells Kanan's story. Um, from her perspective. And then my voice, obviously, is the overarching narration of the entire documentary. So I'm kind of like tying it all together, uh, whereas she's specifically talking about Kanan. And so they didn't really have, even my wife didn't really have uh, much of, uh, she wasn't involved in the creative process of creating it. She was just involved in all of the behind the scenes, everyday life stuff um, in the documentary. So Joe, you mentioned that you got in touch with five families all over the United States who have children with special needs um, and interviewed them for the documentary itself. How did you get in touch with those families? Um, most of them were people that I had met throughout my life at some point. Um, the majority of them, I hadn't been in touch with them for probably at least seven to 10 years, so it was a while, um, but just had learned through Facebook or whatever that they you know, had a child with, with a medical condition. Um, and then a few of them actually just reached out through the internet. Um, one of them, their story had gone viral multiple times. And so someone actually sent me a news article about their son. And I just reached out and said, hey, this is what we're doing. Here's a video clip that you can watch. Would you ever be interested in participating? And they said yes, which I was so thrilled at the time because I'm so used to in life, everything being so you know challenging and difficult that to get a yes was amazing for me. Um, and so, yeah, we went to Florida, Colorado, Oklahoma, and then locally here in Wisconsin. And you said there are a lot of similarities between your experience and the experience of these other parents. Can you elaborate on that a yeah. little bit? Um, yeah, there was a lot of similarities. I would say that the primary similarity was the kind of cold water in the face when you first get a diagnosis of your child, um, because I don't think there's... there's it's very difficult for someone to understand the pain that a parent has to endure when a child is critically ill or chronically ill. Um, and so we all have that in common, no matter if the child had pediatric cancer or missing their brain or undiagnosed or cerebral palsy, whatever it was, we all have that in common. And then the other thing we had in common was that surprisingly, the pain led to joy and it really sobered all of the families up to recognize what actually really matters in life. And it, it was kind of a beautiful reorganization of priorities for all of us is what we found. Um, I know this isn't everyone's experience with a child with special needs. Some people, it, it isn't that, you know, but for the ones that I found and interviewed, this was their experience. And all of them in the documentary at one point or another, whether they said it on camera and got in it or not said, I would never trade this you know, for, I would never trade this life for the life I had before my child came into my life because they've seen the benefit. They've actually inherited something that um, will last for the rest of their life. And so what action do you want people to take after seeing this film? What's the, the call to action? Yeah, so the call to action, which the film ends on, uh, is to make a friend. And I have a whole marketing campaign with it, uh, we're waiting for the film still to get picked up to be purchased or distributed by someone. And when it does, this marketing plan is going to be a part of that pitch. Uh, but also at the same time, I'm developing a TV show, a TV pilot 
um, that is called Make a Friend that will kind of showcase this transformative power that I purport is possible and capable to work in someone's life if they really get intimate with a child with special needs. And again, it's to make a friend, which simply means to make a friend. I think we overcomplicate things too much in life and our own fears and inhibitions um, avert us to actually just going through with it. What I found even with Kanan is even though she was cognitively delayed and wasn't uh, able to communicate with words, that I had a deeper connection with her than I probably have with any other human being in my life. Because when you can't communicate with words, you have to communicate through your heart and you just end up connecting on deeper levels. And I think um, that making a friend with someone with a disability will present that opportunity for anyone to experience on one level or another what my wife and I and these other families have experienced by actually having a child with special needs. So um, it really is that simple. And again, it's not pity and it's not charity in the sense of I'm just going to you know, become friendly with this person because they need me. The irony in it all is that you end up getting more uh, changed, blessed, transformed than even them. And so it's learning a new way to be with people, um, to let down all of the judgments and, um, you know, stigmas that have been placed on someone who has a medical condition and just go there and just do it. Like go out to a movie, go shopping, eat popcorn together, whatever it may be, you know, just make a friend. My team and I, for the Canyon Foundation, we kind of went around this mountain a few times because we could connect people to lots of different nonprofits and they're all out there. I mean, it's as simple as just Googling, you know, nonprofit disabilities and then the name and town of your city and state. And you'll find organizations that are doing that. But what we have found is that many people, that takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of determination that most people will not go to that extent just because they want to make a friend. So what we came up with, and I trust in this way more, is to um, resolve in yourself that you want to make a friend with a person with disabilities. And then you kind of just set that intention in your own heart. And I am convinced that someone, whether it be at Target or whether it be at your you know, spiritual community or whether it be wherever it is, you will come into contact with someone. And then that's the moment of truth. Will you have the bravery and the boldness to step out and say, hey, my name is Joey, what's your name? And go there and connect. Um, so really that's my, that is my solution right now. Yes, you could go the traditional route of Googling or getting in touch with agencies and they would gladly connect you to someone. But really it's about just trusting that as you open your heart to this idea that um, life itself will supply the opportunity for you to do that. I love that, that's yeah. so great. Um, what's next for the film In the Land of Canaan? Can people watch it? Can we watch the trailer? Yeah. So the trailer right now is um, on inthelandofcanaan.com. So if people want more information or want to get involved, you can go to inthelandofcanaan.com. There's not only a trailer there, but there's also this mini series that I did as well um, uh, around the idea of hashtag Canaanites, basically just people who believe um, that people with disabilities are no different than you and I on a fundamental human level. Um, so you can watch that series. There's lots of things to explore and watch on the site. The film itself is being considered by multiple film festivals right now. And there's a regulation that uh, we can't have 
uh, a public viewing or a, a premiere of any sort, or it can't be up for sale until it premieres at a film festival. So that'll happen through 2017. Once it does, then it's kind of uh, will be available for the public. So the best way for people to get connected and stay connected is to go to inthelandofcanaan.com um, and there is a place that you can get on our email list and then you'll just stay up to date of when In the Land of Canaan does become available for the general public. What does the title mean, In the Land of Canaan? So uh, Canaan was named after the Promised Land in the Old Testament. Uh, and so we named her that before she, we even knew that she had any com complications. We named her that while she was still in utero. And then after we went through everything we did with Canaan, it kind of became our tagline in life was inheriting Canaan because the people of Israel had to go to battle and really work a lot. And it took a long time to actually inherit the promised land um, that God had promised to the Israelites. And so when they finally were able to get into the promised land, then that's the land full of milk and honey. You know, we all know these uh, analogies and stories that go along with it. And so after she passed away, I was talking to the co-producer on the film and I was like, man, I just don't know what to name it. And we were just brainstorming a whole bunch of stuff. And he goes, what about in the land of Canaan? Because now that she's gone on, like we're no longer inheriting her, we're no longer working to get to that place of the promise, but now we're actually able to fully uh, digest what she came to say. And so it's an invitation for the viewer to A, see children with disabilities a different way, but really it's an invitation into this other world that many children with special needs live in and call us into all the time, which is a world of innocence, which is a world of forgiveness and um, living carefree and living in the moment and not getting caught up in all of this stuff in life that actually has no real lasting value. And so it is, it's, a, it's an invitation. And that's what we felt from Canaan. She was inviting us into this place that we always, always wished existed. And then her life brought us there, took us there. So um, in essence, it's, it's calling people to enter into this place uh, where many of these children already live. So Joey, what's next for you? We kind of heard what's next with In the Land of Canaan, but you have a new project coming up, um, kind of another cause. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I uh, made a reference earlier, kind of a side thing that I'm working on right now that isn't uh, in you know full go-ahead yet, um, is a TV pilot called Make a Friend. So that's doing its thing right now. But then what I'm actively doing is um, trying to create a short film that addresses the foster care crisis in southeastern Wisconsin. It's very location specific, um, which I felt like was intentional and necessary. There is a lack of awareness and a lack of understanding of what's really going on in the foster care system. And so I've partnered with another nonprofit called Faith, Hope and Love, which basically provides uh, duffel bags and backpacks to children who are taken from their homes abruptly in the middle of the night or whatever it may be. And in those book bags, uh, they have stuffed animals, things for the kids to do, toiletries, clothes, stuff that the kid literally can't grab on their way out of being taken. Um, and so she, her name is Heather. She's an advocate locally for children in the foster care system. Um, it is just overwhelming and staggering the stories uh, and the difficult situations that many of these children are in. So the title of the film, working title right now is Unwanted. And we just want to basically do almost like a public service announcement, a PSA to the general public in our area and beyond our area that this is a real problem. 
Um, and what I the message I want to send is that society is a family um, and that these children are our children, that they're not the government's problem, that they're not even the family that's failing to you know, meet those criteria to have children in their home is not just their issue. This is my problem and it's your problem. It's all of our problem. And collectively, we're the ones that are going to bring solution and, and solve this problem. Again, I'm happy the government is doing what it can do, but the government isn't going to be the solution. It just isn't. Like we need moms and dads and single people and those that are just willing to give love and to share love to do their part in any way. But again, I didn't know anything about the foster care system. So I'm one of those people that's getting enlightened to the whole crisis. And this is what I can do for it. As an advocate, I can provide a platform for other people to speak and give their voice, give voice to their voice of what they're already doing, you know? So this isn't another, this won't be a passion project in the sense of like another, you know, me all the time, me on camera narrating. It's gonna be those locally who are in the trenches of the foster care crisis um, and helping people to see that there is a problem and that we all are the solution to that problem. Great. Yeah. Well, Joey Papa, thank you so much and congratulations on a beautiful documentary and I can't wait for people listening to be able to see it. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. As Joey mentioned, you can view the trailer for In the Land of Canaan at inthelandofcanaan.com, which we will link to in the show notes blog. We will also link to the website for Joey's next project, Unwanted, a documentary about the foster care system in southeastern Wisconsin. Living Local is produced by myself, Katie Kuhn, Rebecca Schimke, Melissa Hannon, Brian McCaig, and John Waldbauer. A special thank you to Ethan and Maeve McCaig for providing the music and voice talent for our introduction. We are still looking for sponsors at every level to help us underwrite the cost of production and to help us continue sharing the stories that connect us. Visit unitedwaygmwc.org slash podcast to learn more.